0: You are listening to the Metamore City Podcast, Episode 9, for January 13, 2008. Warning, this episode contains mature themes and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hello Metamorphs, and Happy New Year! Welcome to the first episode of the Metamorph City Podcast for 2008. I hope that you all had a safe and happy holiday season. And now, as we're getting into mid-January, it's time to put the decorations away, get back into our old routines, and start dealing with the year in front of us. And for those of us who are living in the United States, that means an election year the next 11 months we will be barraged with political advertising, mudslinging, and assorted dirty tricks that will end, we hope, on election day. We haven't had so much luck with that the last couple of times we've tried this. Now, I'm a libertarian myself, so there's a large part of me that would like to see the entire leadership of both parties suddenly and irretrievably sucked through a wormhole to the other side of the galaxy. Barring that, my second choice would be to pull my blankets over my head and just hide until this whole mess is over. Since that's not really an option either, I'm going to try Plan C, stay informed, stay suspicious as hell of everybody in this race, and try to vote for the people I think are going to do the least amount of damage to the planet, my personal liberties, the liberties of everyone around me, and my pocketbook. I encourage all of my fellow Yanks to do the same. Of course, since that's probably going to be incredibly depressing, you're going to need some good escapist entertainment, and I'm happy to oblige. If you tuned into our holiday episode, you already heard the prologue to the first Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. The story continues in this episode with Chapter 1, but first, here is The Story So Far. Our story begins in the year 1989, Christos Reckoning, ten and a half years before the events of troubled minds. Eight-year-old Abby Preston, a gifted but untrained telepath who only barely understands her powers, wakes up in the middle of the night to find her parents dead. In her dreams, she saw them being suffocated in their beds by a monster, a monster who wanted her. Abby hid in her parents' room, hoping that the monster wouldn't find her there. Eventually, the door to the apartment opened itself, and a man walked in. He was tall, handsome, and dressed like a soldier. He found Abby's parents dead in their bed and sighed. Are you the monster? Abby asked. The man turned to her with a small, sad smile. No, he said. I'm not a monster. My name is Victor. I'm here to rescue you. Chapter 1 June 5, 1990 Daniel Shirabi surveyed the court with the keen eye of a commander viewing the battlefield. On the ground floor, his team members waited, spread out in a loose attack formation as they waited for him to pass the ball in bounds. Fiona Hinconnell, the shooting guard, stood in a hunched posture, her arms bent before her. Her pale, freckled face was drenched in sweat, and her short red hair was matted to her head in stringy curls, but her expression was a mask of calm control. Next to her was the point guard, Kevin Darby, his own auburn hair a tangled mess, but his eyes bright and eager. Further up was the center, Trey Simbara, two hundred centimeters of orombian muscle. He grinned at Daniel, his white, even teeth brilliant against his rich brown skin. At the front was his fellow forward, Del Matthews, a theriamorph whose wolfish features did more to intimidate opponents than even Trace's towering height. Del was panting like a dog on a hot summer day, but his amber eyes were focused and hungry. The Westfall Academy warriors were out for blood. The opposing team, the Metamorph Central Falcons, stood waiting on the higher levels of the skyball court, their feet firmly planted to the alternate gravity planes of the upper tiers, most of them were bigger than his players. The guards were twin theriomorphs with gazelle blood, capable of bursts of speed that would put most players to shame. Their center was a towering senior from Erebarb who must have outweighed Trace by 50%. Beyond them all was the goal, a circular hoop nine decimeters across that was suspended 15 meters above the arena floor. Daniel bared his teeth at them with a predator's joy. None of it would make the slightest bit of difference. He threw the ball bounds to Kevin, starting the clock, then ran up to the front of the formation. He hit the jump pad with both feet together and soared three meters up to the first tier on the left, landing in front of the enemy forward. They were now at a 45-degree angle to the floor, but he adjusted to the new gravity field as naturally as breathing. Dell hit the tier on the right side, while Trace hit the center pad and left a full six meters to the second tier a thin strip of court that hung parallel to the ground. Kevin passed the ball up to Daniel, who grinned at the lanky young man in front of him. He dribbled the ball from one hand to the other, then juked to the left. His opponent overcommitted, and Daniel spun right and cut around him, passing up to Trace before hitting the next pad and leaping up to the third tier. Trace caught it in one enormous hand without looking, then turned to face the big Northlander in front of him. His opponent waved long arms in front of Trace trying to disrupt his vision and break his concentration, but the Arambian hardly seemed to notice. He flipped the ball up to Dell one-handed, who caught it as easily as if it had been homing in on his fingertips. He growled and snapped at the guard in front of him, and the gazelle's nerve broke for an instant as his prey instincts reasserted themselves. Del charged past him and tossed the ball to the fourth tier, where Trace and the Northlander were already waiting. The hoop was three meters above Trace and six meters back, and the Northlander had backed off a couple of steps, clearly expecting Trace to take the shot. At that moment, however, Daniel could see Fiona racing up the court along the third tier on the right side, darting past defenders with inhuman speed. She hit the jump pad at the end of the third tier and bounced onto the fourth, behind the Northlander's center, before darting toward the final jump pad and leaping into the air toward the hoop. Trace's throw was timed perfectly and landed between her outstretched hands, high over the Northlander's head. Fiona did a flip in midair and sailed through the goal feet first, carrying the ball with her. The scoreboard ticked up three more points for the Warriors, as Fiona landed safely in the net beyond the hoop. Daniel laughed and jogged back toward the Warriors end of the court, getting ready for the Falcons' attack. The only hard part about this, he thought is trying not to make it look too easy. The sun was shining brightly on the grounds of the Westfall Academy campus, seated as it was atop one of Metamore City's highest towers. Irises and lilies were blooming in the gardens as the warriors met up with their friends and classmates, who had been watching from the stands.
1: 126 to 90,
0: Brian Summers crowed, giving Daniel a high five.
1: If the championship game has ever seen a shellacking like that before, I've never heard of it.
0: Makes
2: you feel sorry for the (laughs) Mundy's,"
0: said Sasha King, her blonde white ponytail swinging as she ran up to hug Fiona. The redhead received the hug with restrained but genuine affection before drawing back with a small smile. I don't know why we should, she said, her emerald green eyes glittering with pride and amusement.
3: They play to the best of their ability. We can hardly feel guilty for being better than they are.
0: Sasha snorted.
2: <laughs> Somehow I doubt that they took your egoist abilities into account when they wrote the rules, or Trace's ESP, or Delstique. Fiona
0: rolled her eyes.
2: Oh, yes, let's all cry for the
3: poor Mundys. They only rule the world, after all.
0: She ran a hand fondly down the side of Sasha's cheek, then pinched it lightly.
3: You are too compassionate for your own good.
0: Sasha grabbed Fiona's hand and pulled her close, planting a kiss on her cheek.
2: Obviously,
0: she said, smiling wickedly.
2: I still hang around with you, after all.
0: Dell and Trace hooted at Sasha's retort, growing even louder when Fiona answered Sasha's kiss with one on the lips.
3: Bite your tongue, wench,
0: she said when they came up for air. You first, Sasha purred. Daniel! Daniel looked up to see Rebecca running across the quad, the sun gleaming against her golden-tan skin as her silky-brown hair streamed out behind her. He caught her in his arms and spun her around, eliciting a shriek of delight. Their lips met in a kiss that rivaled Sasha's and Fiona's in the number of approving hoots and whistles.
4: That was awesome,
0: she said, her dark eyes sparkling. You think that was good? Wait till tonight, Daniel grinned. Rebecca made a small sound of mock outrage and punched him in the shoulder. "'Pervert,' she said, grinning right back at him.
4: "'I meant the game.'
0: "'Oh, oh, the game. Yes, that was pretty good, too, wasn't it?' "'Bah!' said Trace, slapping hands with Brian. "'We could have put another fifty points on the board if Fiona hadn't been dogging it. No offense,
2: Dell.
5: "'Har-har,'
0: Dell said sending out a finger of telekinetic energy to make Trace's large gold earring smack three times against the side of his face.
5: Trace is right, though. This game would have been even more of a joke if we could have really cut loose with our powers.
0: Sure, Daniel said, and the next day they'd pass a bunch of rules to ban size from playing Skyball, or else they'd put so many restrictions on what we could do that any egoist with a shred of talent would be accused of cheating. Daniel's right. "'Brian said, adjusting his wire rim glasses on the bridge of his nose. "'Better for you guys to keep it subtle.' "'Besides,' Kevin added,
6: "'it keeps the game interesting for low-power types like Dan and me. "'We can't let you wonder kids show us up all the time.'
0: Uh, Trace chuckled, a deep basso-rumble. "'Man, now you sound like a Mundy.'
2: "'All right, enough ragging on the have-nots for one day,' said Sasha. "'Can we eat now? I'm starving.'
0: Sounds good to me, said Daniel. The headmaster promised a party for the whole crèche if we won the championship. They should be setting it up in the Great Hall right now. They entered the Great Hall to the raucous cheers of their classmates, and quickly set to work devouring a small mountain of fried chicken, barbecued ribs, and corn on the cob. Soda drinks were brought in by the crate load, a rarity for Westfall where juice and bottled water were the norm and the teenaged heroes toasted each other with upraised bottles of root beer and cola. So much for the Falcons, Kevin said, as they lingered at the table waiting for dessert. Now comes the hard part. Rebecca, who had been idly drawing in her pocket sketchbook, dropped her pencil and smacked a hand over her face in dismay.
4: Exit exams,
0: she groaned.
4: Holy Mariah, daughter of gods, pray for us sinners.
0: Both now and in the hour of our death, Daniel agreed morosely.
4: I'm so nervous, I think I'm going to barf,
0: Rebecca said. She picked up her pencil again and started doodling religious icons around the corners of the page. That's not nerves, Bex, Sasha said, smirking.
2: It's that third plate of ribs you had.
4: I was hungry,
0: Rebecca said defensively.
4: Just because you eat like a bird doesn't mean everyone's got to.
0: She looked over at Daniel.
4: I don't really eat too much, do I?
0: Daniel ran an appreciative look over Rebecca's curves. No complaints here, he said. She was maybe 20 pounds over what some people would call ideal weight, but damn, she carried it in some nice places.
3: Look, there is no point in getting worked up over the exams,
0: Fiona said.
3: Your abilities are what they are. You've had the last 12 years to learn how to use them. The only purpose of the exams is to attach a number to those talents so the hive knows best how to use you. This isn't like a history class that you can do better on with an eleventh-hour cramming session. I know,
0: Rebecca said, her tone resigned.
3: But so much of our future hangs on it. What
4: if our powers aren't strong enough? What if they decide we aren't good enough to qualify for the breeding cells?
0: Kevin snorted. (laughs) Small chance of that. You're a female
6: teep. You're attracted to men and you have a pulse. Of course you'll qualify
0: for a breeding cell.
3: Every population is limited by the number of fertile wombs available,
0: Fiona said in a sing-song imitation of the Academy's sex education instructors.
3: For the Psy Collective to maximize its reproductive fitness and promote the survival of our people, every woman of childbearing age must be prepared to conceive as often as the financial constraints of the local hive will allow.
0: She made a disgusted noise and held up the birth control amulet around her neck, a premium long-life model built around a mithril core.
3: Screw that,
0: she said. Trace raised an eyebrow, glancing at Sasha and then back at Fiona.
2: And you need that thing, why, exactly?
0: Fiona gave him a look that was all cool, hardened steel.
3: I am bisexual, Trace, not gay. The fact that I never offered my favors to you hardly means that I am completely unmoved by the male physique.
0: Trace grinned and flexed one tattooed bicep. Babe, if you're not moved by this physique... You may as well be on life support. (laughs) Fiona's eyes narrowed, and Daniel saw her muscles rippling as she channeled her psychometabolic energy into boosting her strength. Gulp. So, hey, he said quickly, hoping to forestall any impending violence. Is anybody planning on taking the aptitude tests for military work? I hear the MID liaison is going to be watching the exit exams. Fiona turned her gaze back to Daniel, instantly calm again. She shrugged casually.
3: Of course. I know my power rating will be high enough. And it is about time that someone showed the M.I.D. that egoists are just as useful as telepaths.
0: She smirked.
3: Besides, it's my best chance to avoid being turned into a baby-making machine.
1: I'm not crazy about the idea, Brian said. But the elders asked me to take the tests, so I will. Electrokinesis is pretty rare, especially in my power range. He pushed his glasses up a little higher. I'm hoping they'll give me a desk job. Cryptanalysis or something like that.
2: Fiona's in, so I'm in, said Sasha. They can always use more teeps, and my range is more than decent.
0: Daniel looked over at the others. Dell, Kevin? Trace? No way, said Kevin.
6: My pyro talent can barely heat a cup of coffee. I'm going to
0: USOM. They've already accepted me
6: for their apply to kinesiology program.
4: Kinesi-what-a-me?
0: Rebecca asked. Sports medicine, Daniel said. Kevin grimaced. Uh, That's an oversimplification, but basically, yes.
5: I suppose I'll give the M.I.D. tests a try.
0: Dell drawled, idly stacking salt shakers on top of each other with his telekinesis.
5: Five years of active duty doesn't seem like a bad deal for the perks they give you.
0: And we all know how good I'll look in a uniform, Trace said. Daniel nodded. Almost everybody, then.
2: What about you and Becca?
0: Sasha asked, frowning.
2: Uh
4: Uh-uh,
0: Rebecca said, vigorously shaking her head.
4: I'm a lover, not a fighter. Give me a spot in a breeding cell and a bunch of art supplies, and I'll be happy.
0: She looked up at Daniel.
4: Hey, what do you think about graphic design? Empire U has a good program for it.
0: Sounds perfect for you, Daniel said encouragingly. He turned back to Sasha. Bex and I are going to try to get approved as the start of a new breeding cell. As for work, he shrugged. Probably just something local, business, or maybe medicine. Cenodyne always needs people, and you can do a lot worse than working for a healthcare giant if you plan on having a lot of kids.
3: That sounds terribly dull,
0: Fiona said, quirking an eyebrow at him.
3: Why not take the tests? You were near the top of the class in combat training, and your psychic healing is a useful talent for a soldier.
0: Daniel fidgeted uncomfortably. I don't know. I don't think I'm that good
1: at it. Well, hey, let's not worry about it now, Brian said. We all find out one way or another tomorrow, right? He smiled and raised his root beer. For now, let's celebrate. We're graduating. We're champions. We're the next crop of spookies about to be unleashed on an unsuspecting public. The world is our oyster!
0: Hear, here! The rest of them shouted, raising their drinks in unison. Rebecca took a long drink from her soda and then looked thoughtful.
4: Okay, so, the world is our oyster. Can anyone explain that to me? Because oysters are kind of nasty.
0: June 6th Are they taking longer with her, or is it just me? Daniel asked, pacing back and forth in front of the entrance to the Clayman Auditorium. It was the largest lecture hall on campus and 2,000 adults from the local hive were assembled inside. Fiona consulted her watch, then leaned back against a lamp post and closed her eyes.
3: Seventeen minutes and counting. It's just you,
0: Sasha confirmed, nestling in beside her. Daniel kept pacing. He couldn't help it. I hope she does all right, he said, his eyes flickering back and forth to each of their faces. Not that she isn't smart, but sometimes she just... He waved
1: a hand incoherently. "'She'll be fine,' Brian assured him. "'You remember when she channeled her 10th grade menology practical a week ahead of time? "'She's a natural.'
0: Daniel nodded. Rebecca had felt guilty for weeks that her ESP had given them an unfair advantage, until she finally confessed to the teacher. He'd laughed it off, pointing out to her that if he didn't expect that sort of thing in a campus full of espers, then he wouldn't be smart enough to be teaching them anyway.' I just hope she doesn't get too nervous, he said, scratching the back of his neck. His collar was itching him today for some reason, and it was driving him nuts. That's a lot of eyes to have on you at once.
5: It's not that bad,
0: Dell said casually. He was flopped on his back in the middle of a small patch of grass under a maple tree, which had been transplanted to the top of the skyscraper when the campus had been built.
5: I mean, sure, sinking into a gestalt that big is kind of like dancing naked on the front steps of the citadel— but then the test starts and you don't have time to think about it.
0: Daniel didn't think that sounded all that encouraging. He felt sweat beating up on his forehead. Sasha looked at him, concerned. She shifted her gaze to Fiona, who opened her eyes and gave Daniel a speculative look. She sighed.
3: (sighs) Oh, for heaven's sake,
0: she said, but she got up along with Sasha and stood at the edge of the path. She joined hands with Sasha on one side and reached out to Brian on the other, who was already moving from his spot on the park bench. Dell and Trace joined them a moment later, creating a ring with one open position. Daniel stared, then shook his head. No, come on, guys. I'm fine, really.
2: You're going to pieces,
0: Sasha said gently. Her hand stretched out to him.
2: And not just about Rebecca. Come on. You need this. Let us help.
0: Daniel stopped pacing, head hung, He looked up at them in turn, their eyes sympathetic, even Fiona, who was impatient at his stubbornness but genuinely wanted to help. Sighing, he stepped forward and took Sasha and Trace's hands. Sasha smiled at him encouragingly and sent out a tendril of thought around the circle, initiating the link. Everyone in the circle was a telepath of one degree or another, though Sasha was by far the strongest of them. No one hesitated to grab the link as it touched their minds. In the space of two heartbeats, they let down their defenses, each one pouring his or her own thoughts into the current as it rushed by. The link deepened from a trickle to a flood, until concepts like he and she and I had been swallowed up in we. We're
1: afraid. That's nothing new.
2: We've been afraid before.
0: And we're still here. It's never been this important before.
2: It's just a number.
0: It's not who we are.
3: We are
2: strong. Powerful.
0: Bold. and Handsome.
2: Beautiful.
3: The paragons of humankind.
0: Please, full of ourselves much?
3: And why not? We are what's next.
2: We're not afraid of the future. We are the future. We are united. We look out for one another. Always. We will survive. No. Thrive. Triumph
1: over adversity.
2: We're a family. And nothing's gonna change that.
0: Not nobody. Not know-how. The
5: strength of the pack is the wolf. And the strength of the wolf is the
0: pack. Okay, we totally stole that. Yeah, but it fits. "'Here's another one. Many
1: strands make one rope, and together we won't be broken.'
2: "'Okay, everybody get ready. Back in your heads and let me hear you shout. One, two, three... "'Westfall!'
0: they shouted in unison, breaking the gestalt. Daniel was back in his own head, but he'd brought with him Trace's confidence, Fiona's steely resolve, Del's energy, Brian's optimism, and Sasha's steady faith that everything would work out as it should.' He embraced it all, took it into himself, and found strength in it. He was breathing calmly now, and the knot in his stomach was gone. Even his shirt collar didn't seem to be bothering him anymore. Thanks, guys, Daniel said, smiling gratefully. I didn't know how much I needed that. Anytime, man, Trace said, giving Daniel a firm thump on the back.
2: You'll be fine,
0: Sasha told him, patting his hand. The door to the auditorium opened, and Daniel turned to see Rebecca come bounding out, her face alight with joy.
4: Level 9!
0: She squealed, triumphant.
4: Level 9 Esper, level 5 Teep! I don't believe it!
0: Daniel caught her and picked her up. Their lips met, and then he set her back down, both of them laughing. Wow! He said, genuinely impressed. A power level of 9 was well above average, comparable to a first-degree master mage. Rebecca was theoretically in the top 15 or 16% of all espers everywhere.
4: They said I can go to uni if I want, too,
0: she said, turning her spotlight smile toward each of them in turn.
4: I did well enough in my classes to look give me a full scholarship.
0: She clasped her hands to her chest and looked skyward as if in rapture.
4: Then they want me in a breeding cell making lots of little baby espers.
0: <laughs> Fiona rolled her eyes but she smiled and accepted a hug from Rebecca when she ran over to her.
3: I'm glad you are happy. Congratulations. Thanks,
0: Rebecca said, taking turns hugging each of them. Well, looks like somebody's pleased. Daniel turned around to see a man stepping out of the auditorium. He was tall and good-looking, with straw-blond hair and gray eyes, and he wore the black and gray uniform and black beret of the military intelligence directorate. Daniel recognized him instantly. Kano Victor, he said, bowing to his combat instructor. Good afternoon. Good Good afternoon, afternoon, Kano, the others said, quickly standing to attention and bowing in unison. Good afternoon, cadets, he said, bowing to them in return. I understand that some of you are going to be taking the optional test for M.I.D. service.
3: Yes, Kano, all of us except Miss Brower.
0: And maybe me. I haven't had my exit exam yet. Yes, I know, Victor said mildly. They wanted me to tell you that they're ready for you." Daniel nodded. He felt a flutter of fear in his stomach, but only for a moment. The strength that his friends had given him through the Gestalt was still with him. "'I'll be right there,' he promised. He turned to Rebecca and took her in his arms. "'Wish me luck?' he asked her. She grabbed the front of his shirt and pulled him down to her level, locking lips with him in a kiss that could have melted glass. She released him and took a step back, smiling impishly. Good luck, she said, winking. Victor coughed politely. (laughs) All right, then, he said, giving Daniel a look that seemed to carry newfound admiration. If the rest of you will follow me, we'll begin your M.I.D. testing. He strode off through the midst of them at a slow, even pace, clearly expecting the others to fall into line behind him and not even looking back to see if he was being obeyed. See you soon, Daniel. Brian said, raising a hand in parting.
2: Remember what we told you,
0: said Sasha. Daniel nodded, waving to each of them as they said their farewells. Rebecca settled in on the park bench and smiled up at him. Go on, she said.
4: I'll wait for you.
0: Taking a deep breath, Daniel turned and entered the auditorium, where the assembled hive waited to judge his destiny. The first thing that struck Daniel as he entered the auditorium was how quiet it was. A crowd of 2,000 people usually made a respectable amount of noise, even when they were trying to keep their voices low, but the huge lecture hall was quieter than a classroom full of students taking a history final. Daniel looked up at rows upon rows of adults, all of them sitting eerily still. As Daniel's ears adjusted, he realized that he could hear one sound, a slow, steady murmur of air. The sound ceased for a few seconds, then resumed. A few seconds later, it paused again. Gods, he thought, suddenly understanding the source of the noise. They're all breathing in unison. Daniel had never seen a gestalt this large or this perfect in his entire life. Children weren't allowed to attend hive meetings. He stood there staring at them, their faces all calm and detached, and he felt a new understanding for why Mundanes called his people spookies. One of the adults, a gray-haired elder dressed in unassuming street clothes, rose and beckoned to Daniel.
5: Welcome, Daniel Shirabi.
0: The elder's telepathic voice was grave, full of a weighty solemnity that was well-suited to the occasion.
5: Are you ready to begin your exit examination?
0: Daniel wasn't sure, but there wasn't much choice in the matter either way. I am he sent back, his own telepathy sounding weak and tinny next to the resonant power that the Elder carried. They were less than four meters apart, but Daniel still suspected that his thoughts wouldn't have reached that far if the Elder had not already made the connection.
5: Then join the Gestalt, and we shall begin.
0: Tentatively, Daniel widened the connection between himself and the Elder, opening up more of himself to their shared communion. Then the Elder glanced toward the assembled members of the Hive, and the Link suddenly came alive with a flood of thoughts and emotions. Daniel's consciousness was dragged into the collective unity of the Hive like a riptide. Two thousand minds were present, but they didn't feel like two thousand minds. It was more like one extremely powerful mind, so vast in its capabilities that it could consider hundreds of possible ideas at once. Daniel felt himself being spread out and examined by that superconsciousness like a frog on a dissection table. Every corner of that mind seemed to have a piece of him, weighing, evaluating. He was drowning in the Gestalt, but he was still separate from it. They had not yet invited him to take part in the judging of his own merits. After a while, minutes, days, centuries, Daniel wasn't sure. The psychic vivisection ceased, and he was able to pull his thoughts back into something resembling a coherent sense of self. Then the Hive spoke, addressing him directly for the first time. We will test your
5: telepathic sensitivity,
0: it said without preamble.
5: In our mind there is a memory of a child, a dog, and a red ball. Find it. Tell us the name of the child and the name of the dog.
0: The massive Hive mind opened itself up before Daniel inviting him past the surface and into its memories. Gathering his will, he projected a line of thought inside. Immediately, he was bombarded by images, like 2,000 vid screens all showing different programs. Daniel understood. The hive mind was unified in its overall consciousness, its senses, and its short-term memories, but the long-term memories were still stored within the heads of the individual members, like separate hard disks on a computer network. The Hive could call any of them up for consideration at any time, but for an outsider trying to locate one specific memory, it was like looking for a needle in the haystack. Daniel dipped into three minds in a row and rifled through them for any sign of a child, a dog, and a red ball. Nothing. This was going to take forever, he thought. This couldn't be the way they wanted him to do this. He paused, considering. The gestalt with his fellow students was fresh in his mind, and he suddenly recalled a time when Sasha had been given a pop quiz by one of their history teachers. She hadn't known the answer, and had needed to respond quickly, so she sent out mental connections to a dozen other students at once, looking for one who knew the right answer and had been holding it in the forefront of his or her mind since the moment the teacher asked the question. A telepath's mind wasn't like a computer with one central processing unit. It could handle multiple lines of investigation at once. In theory, anyway. Daniel had never tried to send his mind in more than one direction at once, since normally he needed skin contact to initiate a link. In this case, though, the link was already firmly established, so Daniel closed his eyes and pushed, trying to send out his thoughts in as many directions as possible. The strain was incredible. Daniel could feel a dull throbbing behind his eyes, and his body trembled with the effort of dividing his consciousness. He managed to summon five separate lines of thought, and held all of them in place for a few seconds before two of them collapsed. <sighs> Frustrated, he poured his efforts into the remaining three. If he stopped and tried to reestablish all five, he might not be able to manage any of them again. It seemed like an eternity, but at last one of his tendrils of thought touched on the memory of a young girl throwing a red ball. The dog, an Arabark husky, raced after the ball with relentless purpose, snatching it on the run and circling back to bring it to the girl. Daniel immersed himself in the memory, letting it become his own, then pulled back his lines of thought, taking a copy of the memory with him. He felt his whole body relax as he returned to himself, the feeling of strain slowly subsiding. "'Harriet,' he said, panting. His mind was so exhausted that he had to speak aloud to even form the thoughts clearly enough to send them. The girl's name was Harriet, and the dog was Ghost. Correct, Correct, the hive said. It did not sound impressed, and Daniel wondered how much worse he'd done than the other students who had been given this test. The hive paused, apparently considering something. You are tired, it said, sounding unexpectedly sympathetic. You may rest before we
5: continue with your examination. Take as much time as you need, and tell us when you are ready.
0: Thank you, Daniel said. Opening his eyes, he saw a chair slide out from the side of the room and position itself next to him. He collapsed into it and rested his head in his hands. This was probably another test, he thought. It would let them see how much it took out of him to use his powers, and how quickly he would recover. Knowing that he was probably still on the clock, Daniel only let himself rest for five minutes before standing to face the hive again. He wasn't at 100% again yet, else he might not be for days, but he felt well enough to go on. All right, he said, once again projecting the words with thought alone. What's next? In the middle of one of the upper rows, a woman in her mid-twenties rose from her seat and walked down to the front of the room. Daniel only saw her two or three times a year, but he knew her immediately. His half-sister, Stacy. Her glossy black hair and mocha-brown skin were reflections of his own, though her eyes were russet brown instead of bright blue like his. She smiled at him, but her eyes were distant. She was still part of the hive. Your other psionic
5: talent is the gift of healing. One of us has offered herself to be the object of your examination.
0: Object? Daniel asked, frowning. In answer, Stacy turned her palms forward and stretched out her arms, holding them nearly perpendicular to the floor. There was a whisper of wind and a flash of light off metal, and then the veins of Stacy's arms opened up in a pair of incisions about ten centimeters long. Blood seeped forth and bathed her hands, running to the floor in two thin streams. Stacy did not cry out or even move a muscle. "'Holy shit!' Daniel gasped. There was no time to hesitate. He loosened his tie, fingers fumbling with the knot, and finally pulled it free. Rushing to his sister's side, he wrapped the tie around her right elbow and knotted it tight to make a tourniquet. Hurrying to her other side, he pulled off his belt and cinched it around her left arm. He couldn't tie the belt in a knot, so he held it tight around the arm with his left hand while he placed his right hand over the long, straight incision." He focused his will and clearly pictured what he wanted in his mind, imagining the vein pulling itself back together and the skin closing back up like a zipper. His hand glowed with a soft white light, and he ran it slowly over the injury, watching as the wound closed. Once the left arm was healed, he let go of the belt and went back to her right arm. It was harder the second time, and by the time the skin knitted itself back together again, he was covered in sweat and gasping for breath.
4: Thank you, Danny,
0: Stacy said. She had separated from the hive mind and was looking somewhat relieved. Her beautiful coffee-brown skin had turned to sickly gray from the blood loss. She slowly walked over to a chair in the front row and eased herself into it, as towels and a basin of water floated up to land in front of her.
4: Don't worry. I'll be all right.
0: All right? Daniel asked, astonished and outraged. He turned to the rest of the hive, who still sat unmoving in their perfectly orderly rows. "'Are you fucking crazy?' he demanded. "'What in the ninth were you thinking? You think you can just do that to my sister and I'm supposed to accept it?'
5: "'She volunteered for this test. Every psychic healer's powers must be tested to the fullest before we can know their limits. Conducting the examination with a loved one encourages the subject to give his or her very best efforts to the test.
0: She could have died, you lunatics!
5: There are two hundred and ninety-seven other psychic healers in this room. Two hundred and forty-nine of them have talents stronger than yours. Stacy Shirabi was in no danger.
4: But Danny.
0: Stacy's voice was firm, and his eyes met hers immediately. She was looking at him with an expression that was both angry and disappointed.
7: Respect your elders,
0: she said gravely. Daniel lowered his head, ashamed. Stacy was right. Their own parents were somewhere in that assembly, and Daniel would never have dreamed of speaking to them so harshly. As much as he was disgusted and horrified by the gruesome nature of the test, he had to admit it had served its purpose. And now that he thought about it, how the hell else were you supposed to test a psychic healing talent than with an injury? It wasn't as if they could move the entire hive into the local emergency room. He sighed. I'm sorry, he said, and meant it. Please forgive my rudeness.
5: It is forgiven,
0: the hive said. The voice was gentle and understanding. There were, after all, 297 people in the Gestalt who had once gone through the same brutal test themselves. What else would you have me do? Daniel
5: asked. Your examination is completed. Your telepathic talent is rated at power level two, and your psychic healing is rated at level four.
0: Daniel's heart sank. Level 4 was as far below the average as level 9 was above it. 84-85% to of all psychic healers were stronger than he was. As for level 2, well, theoretically that put him in the bottom 2% for telepathy. There were probably a lot of low-level teeps out there whose powers stayed latent, which would change the shape of the curve if they could be accounted for but of those teeps who were strong enough for the Collective to notice them, Daniel definitely ranked near the bottom. He didn't know why he should have been surprised. He had never even been able to start a link without touching somebody, except once in a while with Rebecca. Rebecca? Excuse me, he asked, but will Rebecca and I be able to start a breeding cell? The hive sent a wave of regret. We're afraid
5: not. Your power's not strong enough. We need the next generation of size to be stronger than the current one, if we are to ensure the survival of our people.
0: His guts felt like they had turned to water. But what about Fiona? She's only a level 3 teep, and you want her in a breeding cell.
5: Fiona Hinconnell is also a level 11 egoist,
0: the hive reminded him.
5: But even if she were not, she would still be a woman of childbearing age, and would thus be essential. Our survival depends on the numbers of children we can produce, as well as their relative strength. One man can easily sire children with four or five women on a regular rotation. That is the entire basis of the breeding cell system. We do not need low-powered males to become fathers when we have more than enough high-level ones to serve the current population of prospective mothers.
0: Daniel felt a wave of indignation at the unfairness of it all. His first instinct was to shout and protest. Instead, he forced himself to calm down, and tried using logic. What if my powers get stronger? It's happened before. What if I spend the next few years at university and work on practicing my talents while I'm there? Maybe I'm not as weak as it looks right now. Maybe I just haven't learned to use my powers to their full ability yet. It is possible.
5: Rare, but not unheard of. We will allow you to attend university on collective funds. Your academic record is very respectable, and we have no doubt you will put your higher education to good use. Understand, however, that you will be responsible to repay our investments in you. If upon graduation your powers are still too weak to qualify you as a breeding cell husband, you will be required to join a bachelor cell. You will work for the Hive until our investment is repaid. After that, If you choose to leave active participation in the Collective and begin a life of your own, you will be free to go.
0: Daniel shivered. If there was anything that sounded worse than being stuck in a Bachelor cell with a bunch of other have-nots, it was trying to make a life without the support and protection of the Collective. "'I'll do it,' he said. "'I'll go to Empire University with Rebecca. "'I'll take night classes here at Westfall to practice using my powers.' and by the time we graduate, I'll show you that I'm good enough for a breeding cell. We shall see, the hive said, then broke the link. The elder turned to Daniel.
5: You may go now.
0: As Daniel came outside, Rebecca was putting the last touches on an intricate bit of abstract art, which she had drawn on the concrete path with five different colors of chalk. She looked up at him with a smile, but then her eyes briefly flashed yellow as she looked at him. Her face fell, and Daniel knew that she had just channeled the results of his test. Or enough of them, anyway.
4: Oh, Eli.
0: She whispered, tears welling up in her eyes. Oh, no. Shh, Daniel soothed, rushing to wrap her in his arms. It's okay.
4: No, it's not.
0: Rebecca protested, weeping.
4: They're going to send you away from me.
0: "'Not yet they aren't,' Daniel assured her. "'We've got four years. "'As long as we're full-time students, they won't make you join a breeding cell. "'That'll give me time to get my powers in shape. "'We'll get through this.' "'Rebecca pressed her face hard against his chest and sobbed. "'He felt the tears soaking through the thin fabric of the shirt. "'Shh,' he said again, holding her tightly. "'It's gonna be okay. "'I'm not giving up on us. "'We'll come through this, and we'll do it together.' She clutched at him.
4: Promise?
0: He stroked her long brown hair and tried to blink the tears out of his eyes. Promise. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City podcast, right after these messages.
7: A cold and dark winter has settled over your MP3 player. You're searching for clarity, for entertainment, for information that can transform you from an amateur writer to a science fiction professional, from a dedicated reader to a genre master. Author interviews, industry insight, writing tips, book reviews, genre analysis. Oh, oh, if only such a podcast. But Awake from Hibernation and debut this January with an exciting second season. Be careful what you wish for.
8: On Saturday, January 12th, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing returns for an exciting second season. Join us for a special season premiere with a double feature of New York Times best-selling authors, Kevin J. Anderson and Sean Williams. And join us again Saturday, January 26th for our special interview with epic fantasy superstar terry goodkind you want it now you can have it visit adventures in sci and subscribe or look us up in itunes this season is going to blow your mind don't miss it saturday january 12th a rapture for your ears Use only as directed. Common side effects include increased intelligence, propensity to impress your friends, late night's reading, increased productivity, increased self-esteem, increased sex drive, a better understanding of the publishing industry, and overwhelming urge to sleep with your iPod. If symptoms persist for more than 10 days, listen to every episode of Season 1. Available at AdventuresInSciFiPublishing.com. Subscribe today.
7: On January 12th, Sean and Sam are going to get you. So clear your hard drive, hide those CDs, and turn off that radio. Because the adventures are about to begin. Two hundred years into the future, mankind has conquered the solar system. Humanity has entered a new era of peace and exploration, but a looming threat could spell the end of everything. The fate of civilization rests in the hands of an unlikely hero.
3: Um, excuse me? Hero? You know, I've been called a lot of things over the years. Criminal, con artist, traitorous bitch. But Hero? Well, yes, but they were being sarcastic. This is the story of how I saved the universe.
7: Space Casey is an audio drama miniseries from Christiana Ellis. Subscribe now at www.spacecasey.com.
3: You'll love it. Trust me.
6: This is TJ from the Three Songs Podcast, and you're listening to Metamore City.
0: And we are back. I want to say thanks to everybody in the cast for this week's episode, which, as you probably noticed, is quite extensive. The cast for Chapter 1 is, in order of appearance... Brian Watson as Brian Summers Danny Cutler as Sasha King Christiana Ellis as Fiona Hincano M.A.N.P.A. as Rebecca Brower Dante Taylor as Trey Sumbara Nobilis as Del Matthews P.G. Holyfield as Kevin Darby Bill Bowman as Victor Hincavos and Heather Welliver as Stacy. I really appreciate everyone taking the time out of their busy schedules to do the recording for this book, especially the folks who have podcasts of their own. If you're enjoying Making the Cut, be sure to say thanks to them when you get the chance. You'll find bios for all of our players, along with links to their websites, on the author and cast page at metamorcity.com. We've had some additional voicemails come in after the holiday episode was finalized, so let's get to those now. Hey,
6: Chris, this is David Satoyak from www.brokensea.com. Uh, I've been listening to Metamorph City and really enjoying it. Um, we are a full cast audio production group. Uh, and if you'd be interested, I'd love to interview you for my podcast. Um, you can reach us at... Um, actually, just email me at D-A-F-O-B at BrokenSea dot com. Uh, also, stop by the site, check out some of our shows. I think you may like some of the stuff we do. www.BrokenSea dot com. Uh, keep up the great work, Chris. Loving it. Bye.
0: Thanks, David. Since I got your message, I've been over to check out Broken Sea, and hey guys, I've gotta tell you, they've got some pretty wild stuff going on over there. They've got fan driven audio dramas for Johnny Quest, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Star Trek, and Doctor Who, a series of Halloween short stories, and some very unique original series that feature characters like Ulysses the Galactic Bounty Hunter and Jake Sampson, a 1930s-style adventure hero who's coming face-to-face with supernatural horrors that man was not meant to know. If you think that sounds like fun, check him out at BrokenSea.com. And David, I'll definitely be in touch with you about that interview. You
6: know, street rats should work pretty good. Considering I am a junkie, I am one of the hurt bitches, I am a clone, I am a snitch, um... Uh, I have also added the first four episodes to what is now a DVD start TV of uh, some of my favorite audiobook stuff. It's now a DVD. Your first four episodes were on my laptop. Every time I sit there talking with somebody in another truck stop about what I'm listening to, I'll burn them a copy. Hand it to them. Let them listen to it. I know I'm turning more and more people on that way. You have a good one. Wait we'll on the next episode later. By the way, just so you know who this is, I got tagged by another podcast that's cool trucker dude. Unfortunately it looks like the audio pandemic show has gone into odd phase. Unless something happens and something quick and get some decent, uh, internet server again. But, uh, don't call me the cool trucker dude. That's the tag I got. That's the tag I'm living with. Talk to you later. Bye.
0: Thanks, cool trucker dude. That's really awesome that you're out there converting other truckers to the world of metamorph. I've done the cross-country drive between Michigan and California a couple times, so I know exactly how bored you get when you're spending the whole day staring at the open road. It can get a little crazy-making, so I'm thrilled that I'm able to give you guys something to help break up the monotony. To you and all the other truckers out there listening to this podcast, thanks for helping to keep America moving, and thanks for continuing to spread the word about Metamore City. And that'll do it for feedback this week. If you'd like to weigh in on what you're hearing, the email address is feedback at metamorecity.com and the voicemail line is 206-350-7333. If you want to help spread the word about Metamore City, feel free to make copies like Cool Trucker Dude and share them with your friends. You can also help us out by voting for us at Podcast Pickle or Podcast Alley or by leaving a review of the show on Yahoo or the iTunes Music Store. If you have a podcast of your own, you can download our promos from the Metamore City website and use them in your shows. And a big thanks to everyone who's done that already. You guys make my day. Lastly, I love seeing reviews of the show on other people's blogs. If you're on LiveJournal, MySpace, or some other blogging venue, why not tell others what you think of Metamore City? Some of you have already done this, including Ka, who has posted two reviews of Metamore – thanks, Ka – And Tabitha from Buffy Between the Lines, who suggested Metamore as an alternative for any Moonlight fans who are waiting for the writer's strike to be over. And if you do post about Metamore in your blog, send me an email and let me know. I'll be happy to link to you in my next dispatch from the Imperial Ministry of Information. That's all I've got for you this time, folks. Come back in two weeks for Chapter 2 of Making the Cut. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Free Sound Project located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamorph City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution ShareAlike 3.0 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org.